Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 344, and have I got a good guest for you today. I've been telling you all online that I've been recording some fire podcasts of late, some mad guests. You're going to really enjoy them. And this week, it's Dizzy Rascal. I know a lot of you will be will be hyped for this one. I know I was hyped to, to sit down with Dizzy. Our paths have crossed a few times over the years. I'm not going to claim that we're like tight friends from way back, but it was lovely to catch up with Dizzy. And this felt like such a strong chat. I've never heard him this open and this honest in an interview. It felt like a really relaxed and good moment. We're obviously here in part to talk about his new album, um, E3 AF, out on October 9th. But we talk about so much more as well. If this is your first time tuning in, first of all, you know, a fourth welcome. But um, go back and check out some previous guests. We've had Kano. We've had Retri 2, Mike Skinner, Roots Maneuver. In two weeks, I don't normally give away guests ahead of time. But as I mention it in this podcast, it's weird. I recorded, I've got Gets coming on in two weeks. And I've known Gets a minute as well. And I recorded the Gets one before the, the Dizzy one, but because of release schedules, the Gets is coming out in two weeks' time. So yeah, there's loads to check out. Easy to find. If you just search, rather than me give you the episode numbers, if you just search Distraction Pieces and then Kano or Roots Maneuver or Wretch or Kate Tempest or whomever else, um, then you'll find that easy enough. Ashley Waters, Jasmine Jobson, endless list of really good really good people that i think you'll enjoy but yeah for now you've got a hell of a chat to enjoy we set this up over over zoom and we took a while to get headphones sorted so we'd been chatting for 15 minutes or so before we got rolling so it it might start a little abruptly because we were kind of like right we should be recording really but yeah i hope you enjoy it i'll say no more um this is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 344, with Dizzy Rascal. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. Oh, well, I'm here with Dizzy Rascal. How are you doing, man? I'm good, sir. How are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Just as we were getting set up, we were just talking about... I was talking about a bit of the acting I've been doing and that, and, and you were saying that even before the music, you were looking into acting and you went to a little bit of acting class and stuff like that. How was that? Yeah, so, like, for, even from school. You see, when you, when, you got, when you get your options, yeah. like, year 10, I did drama and music. So, because yeah. I, I, was, I was just always a performer. So, I, so um... Outside of school, mum got me into Anna Shares. It's that's like a legit drama as well, kind of man. Yeah, that's like, like loads one. of good people have gone Anna Shares. You mm. hear about that all the time as a real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I went there for like a. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I went there for like a year and it was like, it was mad for me because like, I, see, I was seeing people like Martin from EastEnders. That's what like, he was honest at the time. He was big on there. Sonia <laughs> yeah, went man. there. Um, Adam Deacon, I used to see him a lot because he used to go the same days. And then, yeah. like, and then what they do, they, they put you in groups. And then make you go away and make up like a little play or a scene. Yeah. But 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 you didn't write it down or nothing like that. You just had to and uh, come back and just improvise it. So you 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 had your theme and then you just had to all kind of work with each other and and then basically get to 
get to an end of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. So that, so that was, I never forgot, I never forgot that. that. That was like a good thing. But then when I think about it now, okay, I never got into acting really, but I could if I wanted to, but it, it was good for making you kind of think on your feet. Yeah. So between that and pirate radio, so so like, so like when we used to do those sets, like you didn't know what the DJ was gonna fling on necessarily. Yeah. Yes, you had a little cheeky look or whatever. Like it <laughs> would just fling on what he flung on, and it's like, oh shit, it's go time. And then you just put whatever bars you had, you'd, you'd come out of it in it. Between that and and um, like I said, the acting that that's that kind of help you think on your feet. So even yeah. if now if something goes wrong at a massive show, like a proper big one there. Don't let it get to us. Like, oh, there's no panic. It's like, ah, yeah. well, play it off. Like, it's cool because you know how to just improvise. That's perfect. Getting that, the, that kind of pressure out of the way at a young age to jump up. Because, yeah. again, it's a weird thing, particularly w- working class families aren't, aren't told that acting or music or whatever else is an option. So to be thrown in, now going to perform in front of these people... It's nerve-wracking, so that must have prepared you well for, as you say, radio and performing live, because you've done that. You, you've jumped up yeah. there not knowing what's going to happen, Yeah, you've yeah. survived. No scripts. So that's why it's different to, like, it's, it's not, it wasn't like a classic acting school like that, you know what I mean? The ones who come from from those, like, really serious... Not it's not a serious, like, because they say, it's, it's levels, isn't it? Yeah. But... Never, never. I don't know how to read a script, or I don't know. I don't know classical acting or nothing like yeah. that. I just but I know how to make some shit up on the spot. You know what I mean? I love like, that. I, I need to see some dizzy rascal acting now. That's got to happen in the future. That's got to be a. But a like thing. you were saying before, before before we come on the yeah. music videos. Yeah, like that's why I've always veered towards like cinematic music videos, like ones yeah. where like I know oh, it's going to take work. It's yeah, going to take yeah, work. Yeah. So it's, it, I, I I love doing all that. There's one I did. Um, that was like a proper little movie. There's, there's about three that are like little mini movies, but the, the last one I did was Bop and Keep It Dipping. Yeah. Like the way yeah, I had yeah, to yeah, proper yeah. do some acting and all that. Like. It, it, it was wicked, but it is like having a, a, a film set, being on the film set. You've got the director, you have to listen to the director, the director saying all these different things. And there's times there where I get vexed doing it because they keep making you do the same take. It's and repetition, it's saying, repetition, repetition. Right. And he's saying like, yo, sometimes on movies, yeah, you might spend the whole day doing one scene. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, what? He said, yeah, he said, that's what it's <laughs> like. Like, It's like, yo. That's, that's been the mad thing for me moving into it, from doing music videos and always doing them as kind of low-key, we've got a day to shoot it, get the whole thing, to move into yeah. film or TV and exactly that. You're like all day on this one scene. You're like, this is great. This means we can relax a bit. We can, yeah. can there's like, we can go again. We can get all these, this set up. It's, uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah. But I mean, so... You've just announced, as we record this, the new record, um, EC3 AF. Yeah. Um, E3 AF. E3 AF. E3 AF, yeah. yeah. So it, yeah. It, it reads as E3 AF, yeah. but the, the, the AF is for African, but that's what he used to call us back in the day. It's called oh, AF, is is an AF. Oh, right, right. I didn't right, even right, right. realise that. But so so it's, it's, it's clearly referencing, you know, East London has been key in your whole life. Definitely. Right, that's where you you were part of the birth of grime and so 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 how is it kind of looking back at things like we were talking earlier you've you've spent a lot of lockdown in the studio and stuff like that and someone's been making you reflect on your previous records and that and a, and a bit rudely <laughs> and not that positive yeah yeah but, right right yeah but so, so how is that like when you look back because it's it's been a hell of a journey and it is mm. kind of a, 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 a diary of your life and progression right yeah, with that, even though I don't live there no more, 
like I'm older, I'm like 35 now. When I was making like my say like our first album, like I was kind of like 15, 16, and then it kind of came out officially when I was 18. So yeah. I was working on bits from like 16 or whatever. But yeah, that's and it was all stemmed from Bo. Even though the actual product, I was making the, the music in Bermondsey. So Boy and right. was made in Bermondsey and Sheffield. That's what a lot of people don't know. Yeah. But, um, actually, what else? Don't let me... Because I always do this. I always go off the point, but I just want to try to give you more no, gems. I'm, I'm, I'm good for going off the point because yeah. I think y- your production is something that gets overlooked a lot. Because like, I did mm. a club night in East London just around the corner... And yeah. my mate used to do the door at Plastic People at Forward. So okay. I was just up the road f- from that. And even until, like, when we stopped doing the club night last year, like, I, th- the beat for I Love You still mm. bangs through a sound system. And it's people don't really it. talk about that y- you were producing. Yeah, and that, that's... Like that. that's uh, and it's interesting for me because when people talk about uh, me being part of the birth of Graham and all that, uh, pioneer and all that, you've got the whole argument about the, who's the godfather and all that. Yeah. I finally realised that, oh... You lot think I'm a, a MC, so yeah. you, all this time you've been looking at me as MC, and not realizing that like I was a beat maker. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I brought to Graham, like yeah. the sound. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even getting the credit for it because it's you mad. were DJing originally, right? DJing and producing, jungle. and and then jumping over the top on yeah, jungle and, and D and B and stuff like that, yeah. right? And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. So yeah, how was that kind of? Because it is, it's completely overlooked, and I didn't really realize until recently. I I, I think of those early albums and think about. You, your flow and your de- delivery and the, the venom of it all, yeah. And just assume that someone else was making the beat. So no, how- no, it's crazy. Again, like I was in the airport with a uh, disclosure. Yeah, uh, one of them said to me, says, "Oh, dizzy, like, oh, who who made the beat for for stop that? Who made like?" I said, "Oh, I, I did that." He said, "Oh, ah, oh, rah, I thought it was some producer." <laughs> I said, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like." So you're right, but um, how was it? Yeah, so like I said, I started off as a jung- jungle DJ, a lap twelve. 12, 13. Man. So I used to buy records off DJ Target because like, we're from like the same estate. Yeah. So that's how I used to go to because then he was a very active DJ at the time and Jungle producer. Him and DJ Trend were, yeah, 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 rest yeah. in peace, were linked up. So I used to just go down the road, knock on Target's house and get records from him. Uh, then um, I took music class in school, but I couldn't learn the musical scale. And see, tea, coffee, lemonade, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. It just wouldn't register. You know how some people just learn differently? Yeah. I could play the drums a bit, but even when when they brought a drum teacher to bring me in to try and play it, I couldn't do it the way he did it. Yeah. Then the teacher introduced me to Cubase, and that changed everything. Yeah, that's man. when I learned to make beats. Like, oh, to be fair though, Music 2000 is probably where I learned to make beats, but then that was kind of more of a sequencer. You had, it was just like stuff Mate, that was that, samples that was already there, innit? It gets overlooked, man. Music 2000, because it was in a games console, it introduced so many people who wouldn't have thought that they can get into that. Before Cubase and Fruity Loops and all these other yeah. things were like an option, yeah. Fucking about on Music Two Thousand was the 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 gateway dr- drug kind of thing. No, definitely. That's like because it was it's kind of DJ, like it's just sequencing. But Cubase with just a few basic sounds that I like, oh, I could make a beat. Yeah, that's what changed everything. That's yeah. that's what and that's when I was the beginnings of me being a producer. And what, mm, and what made but, me think about it was on Instagram. You posted a video recently of you you messing about with the "I Love You" beat on 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 some tr- yeah. a, a, a trigger pads. Yeah. And again, all people were like shocked and surprised. It's like, no, that's you made that. That's that, yeah, <laughs> that's how I made it. This like, isn't like ten years on or twenty years or whatever. On you're going, I'm going to try and and do it all yeah. myself now. It's like, no, no, no. That's how it always no, was. Me, me, me recreating how I did it. Yeah, like, but you know, you know what's crazy as well. 
everything these days is documented. Like, what, probably my most seminal album that most people will think of like as my seminal album, even though I got uh, uh, Tongue and Cheek was massive as well, bigger really, yeah, sales wise. But Boy in the Corner, there's no documenting footage of anything. Because I was just so in the zone, we didn't even think to record any yeah. footage of anything. So what, nobody knows anything. Yeah. Nobody's ever seen anything from it. Yeah. Like, we just didn't even think of that. So that's well, why... you don't know people... at that point. Do nah. you? you don't know what it's going to be or how important it might be. At all. Nah. And anyone who says they d- d- did, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they knew it was going to be this big. <laughs> just kind of just getting on with it. Just getting on... Just, yeah. It was it. But anyway, that, that introduced me to production. And part yeah. of the reason I produced this was because I didn't really have a choice. Who could I get beats from at 17 any, or 16 anyway? There was no one I could even get any beats from. So I had to kind of learn to do it. Then went from different studios. And then really it was down to, okay, the, the engineer at the time. One of them, who I never, I've never called up, give, shouted out enough, it was um, Danny C. And another right. one called Danny S. Because at the time, they'd stu- they worked in the studio in Deptford. I can't remember who I went to first. But I remember it being confusing because I worked with Danny C, then I went to work with Danny S and they were in next door <laughs> and they were mates. But they were like garage producers. But at the time, now I'm older, I realised, okay, they'd load up like a sound bank for me. Yeah. And then I, and then I had a bunch of samples. I was sampling like Three Six Mafia stuff. The, the yeah. One tune which was called um, Who Run It? So I'd sampled the Crunchy Black thing from that. And then I had a tune that I made at Danny C or Danny S, I can't remember, which, which was called Crime. So I sampled that, but then I was using their drum sounds and their bass lines and all that, and that's how so that was my first productions, proper ones, you know, for in a proper studio. I made another one called Ready for War before that, but I was yeah. young, young. That's when I was hanging around with Nasty Crew. It's called Ready for War. But um, and then the other, next one I made after Crime was another one called Buedem About. Again, I was using Three Six Mafia samples, but with with within their studios. So that's. Basically, when I had a variety of, of, of different sounds and samples, before I even really knew what that was, because it basically load up a, a sample bank and spread it across the keyboard like that. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. And I just try the bits I want. And I could still put a song, put a beat and all that together, but that's what was being done in it. Whereas with Cubase, you just got the basic sounds. Yeah. So I learned on that. And then Boy in the Corner's kind of made in the same way. A lot of those sounds were cages, cage. He's my manager now. So yeah. he had, he had, because he's a producer before. So he had that library of sounds and samples and keyboards and whatever. And they just laid him out, um, on the, laid him out across the keyboard for me. And I picked them. So that's why Boy in the Corner just sounds so mad. So, cause, cause the sounds that I picked were different. The crazy thing is me, Danny Weed, Wiley, Target, we use the same computer. We use the same, Studio, we use the same it's mad, shit, isn't it? Yeah, that's what, another thing people don't know. We use the same shit. I just chose mad different sounds because, like I said, my influence is different. Everything from drum and bass to grunge to dancehall to garage, where it all, all talk types different shit. So my mind was just a bit more. I didn't mind just making stuff so dirty and just so mad and off key. That's what I was yeah. about, like, and I still that, am now. And 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 that's what's interesting as well. I remember in around two thousand seven or two thousand and eight. Uh, we did a fair few festivals and at that point you'd drop like a Nirvana beat or something and, and yeah. rap over the top and it felt it it felt from the outside potentially that you're going oh we're at these indie gigs because at, at, at those shows it was only you me and Dan Lassac and Bizzle who were doing any rapping who were doing everything else was indie bands and rock bands but what I kind of read up later was that's what you you grew up listening to. You you read Kerrang. Yeah. You listened to Nirvana. I, I, you yeah, know. Kerrang, Hammer, all yeah. that. St- and, and that came from because it started off with um, someone on my estate being into like 
Jimi Hendrix and all that. And then the next door neighbour was into the heavy stuff. Yeah. Like, and then he introduced me to that. And I was like, rah, I just love that, that Iron Maiden and um, Guns N' Roses and, and and then eventually Korn, Sepultura and all that. Yeah. It's just that, just that, it's at the, it, had the, it had the weight. Yeah. Because when, when I start talking about Korn, especially Korn, the bottom end. Yeah. It had, it had the grit, but at the bottom end of, of hip-hop, on drum and bass, which is yeah. crazy because at, at the time I wasn't as into hip-hop then. I'm talking yeah. about when I was like... 11, 10, 11. Yeah. I was more into it because I wasn't getting much hip-hop back then because the times there, you could only get hip-hop on the TV. I wasn't listening to Westwood. I didn't, there was no one around me feeding me hip-hop like that. It's only one of my friends uh, at school. His brother, he, he got a Snoop Dogg CD from his a bro, a tape from his brother and gave it to me. So that's as much hip-hop as I knew and Tupac and all that. But I was really into the heavy heavy metal and all that. But like I said, Korn and the... the, like, the, the, the not so much Limp Biscuit, but especially Corn, but a Nirvana. And again, when I'm not when I think back to it, Nirvana was quite the, the drums were big in Nirvana. Maybe not so much yeah. the early stuff, but when it got to like Nevermind in Neuro, the bottom end was sick, innit? Yeah, yeah, it hit you in the it hit you in the gut, right? Yeah, and it was soulful or, or not soulful. I would say uh, euphoric. Yeah, in a dark kind of moody way. Yeah, and then they just had some some other stuff that was just just like sludge. You know that song Milk It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By Nirvana. That's like my favourite Nirvana song, if you think about it. Because it's just it's just nuts. It just starts off ding doing all nuts and then even yeah. just the, the <laughs> yeah. like it's you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like, yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So that the spirit of that has always been with me. So when you hear I Love You, that's like I was never gonna make like stuff with guitars in it, because I couldn't play guitar. Yeah. Like a lot of that music there is because I couldn't yeah, 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 yeah. play. When we got to that point of using guitars and all that was, I guess, obviously fixed up the shot, but it was a sample. And I was yeah. thinking the rock, of the rock element of it and just kind of going playing off of a tune that had some singing in it. And what I thought was like old school, old school hip hop. Yeah. And overall, it was a dub plate for Tim Westwood. I need only right. to make a rap tune, but it it wasn't very current to be fair because at that time, rap was like dipset. Yeah. But I didn't have access to Just Blaze and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But Cage had the Billy Squire record there. So, yeah. okay, let's do that. That's, that's the closest I can get to hip-hop right now. That's what that. Yeah. But, say, moving forward, by the time we got to Sirens, Sirens, actually me playing on the drum and me playing a one-string on the guitar and Nick distorting it, Cage distorting it. And then Love it. Where we get to, the, get to that point of the... See the end where it breaks down... Yeah. and goes into the corn thing just like you're saying because now by this time it's my, my third album so I'm actively like you said thinking of those festivals that I do that are not the underground like gram thing no more so so it, w- it was actually we stuck corn here to stay on the end of it originally yeah. Yeah, but yeah, then yeah. it's when Cage come through to say like no let's go and get it re because I didn't understand oh yeah you had to go and give away so much money or whatever else it was so he got people that they just played something like it so if you listen to it that is it is actually based off of Here to Stay yeah so so yeah so th- th- my, that influence has always been there my whole first album was that I made it kind of with all these samples and then I found out I can't do that and we went in the studio and played something that sounds quite like it but right, but not right. but not like it enough to get to get sued and have to give people money and that it's a uh, and you know what's, what's mad as well yeah no true but 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 almost like it's almost a sad sad thing at the same time as well because those albums like see like um was it 33 feet of, no what was the um three feet and rising de la soul that they sampled everything and yeah it's so amazing like there's a few era of stuff like that 
Yeah. A lot of hip hop, even the boom bap stuff, you yeah. just can't. It's can't. It's a shame that that unless you want to fall out, most people don't. You're never going to hear stuff like that. But, but but then what you've got now, you see like the Griselda thing. You see, did you hear the Griselda album? No, nah, no. Nah. So Griselda's like the closest thing you're going to get to that kind of 2005 gritty kind of right. East Coast hip hop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some gangster shit, drug dealing music. Yeah. Which sounds like a lot of that old sample shit, but a lot of it is Beat Butcher making samples. Yeah. And then his guy, uh, what's the, what's Darringer. Darringer, I think his name, that's the other, the main producer on it. Chopping it up. So their album sounds like some classic rap shit, sampled shit, but the samples have actually been made to sound like or some classic. They built them themselves. I love that. Yeah. That's where we're at now. Unless you're fucking someone with a crazy budget like a Kanye West or something who don't care. You can just take anything you want. Yeah. So, so do you think a state life makes you, you, you grow up quicker and, and, and get that, that diversity in quicker, I guess. Because as I said, you're around people. The, the fact that you were saying I was DJing at like t- 12, I, I, I recorded a podcast with Getz last week and I've known him oh, years shit. and it wasn't until we sat down and did the podcast that we were talking about him being like locked up at 15. And mm. he's, he said that he's, it was speaking t- to you that put him on the right path because he was seeing people like you blow up but then yeah. actually speaking to you and, and you saying, look, when you get out, yeah. you can be getting on this music thing. Like, like it's a thing now. It's an option. It's not just we're either on road or yeah. sports. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it was... Wow, you're taking me back, man. I know, I'm, I'm telling conversation. you. Conversation, that's mad. Because, yeah, obviously, me and Gets used to run around together as kids. Yeah, He wasn't yeah. a musician and I wasn't, like, a known MC. <laughs> Yeah. And we know travel through through Storming and a couple of other uh, uh, bridges, innit? But like, yeah, yeah, yeah if yeah. he's 15, gets his like a year above me, so I would have been about 14, 15. Yeah. So I used to go over to his way, like over like, well, like, around Ilford, he kind of plastered. Knew him, innit? It's next door, yeah. whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, like, right, that's mad that that's mad that you're saying that there, yeah. Because um, again, he was saying that, that at, at that age, particularly in a lot of those areas, if all your, if the only success you're seeing is drug dealers or, 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 or people doing illegal shit, then that's, the only option whereas but if you're seeing fair, though, people you know, blowing up that you actually know that's oh, the yes. difference right oh, def- definitely to an extent but the other crazy thing there is um, first up it was weird f- as a black kid for me to be into that stuff that we were talking about yeah yeah like yeah heavy 100%. metal and all that so yeah. there was that people looking at me like I was crazy anyway for I, that. So I, I decided to get over the that the opposite with hip hop like I was into all my heavy metal and my punk and with my right. little white mates and then I was yeah. into all my rap and they were like okay What's going on? This isn't... Right. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, there was all that. But as far as the estate and all that, it's mad. I never overly wanted to be a shotter. I had my little phases where I'd run run around with people and all that, but I saw saw what it was early. Yeah. I think I clocked the shit side of it, but by then I was so into what I was doing musically that my friends would still be around me, but when I clocked it... And I was getting money... So it didn't appeal to me that side of it. Yeah, too tough. And then, and then on the flip side as well, I know talk, talk about influences and all that. You, I don't want to name names, but you still got a lot of people that were whatever drug dealers or whatever. But they were still. I guess it goes to his point actually. It's like they were doing constructive things. Like a lot of the raves and the pirate radio stations. Yeah, wouldn't have existed without drug dealers and gun runners or whatever or whatever they were doing at the time I don't, I don't want to name names no of but course at the same time so yeah you still had those influences there so even the, even let's say I live in the hood of just seeing drug dealers and all that but sometimes the drug dealers weren't just drug dealers 
Yeah. Is, is that yeah. making sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, again, it's it's that means to an end, isn't it? But it's it's if you can make it a means to an end, it should be kind of anything I'm doing is to get out of this situation, but that situation can drag you in and hold you there, right? So no, if you're no, getting no, no, out no, of it no. by putting on shows, putting no, on radio... No, 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 no. I wouldn't even, I even want to give them even more credit yeah, go on. than that. Because it couldn't, it couldn't have just been about them trying to make money. Yeah. Because even running a station was a pretty shitty thing. Yeah. And pretty, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, like, so that was the passion. Yeah. Even putting on the raves, it's still like unless they were shot in their drugs. I, I don't know the ins and the outs of whatever I, you know I mean was doing <laughs> yeah, personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the passion they had for the music was bigger than you know what I mean than yeah. the other shit. They just, yeah. yeah, they paid their bills. They got their, their little nice bits and bobs and all that. But a lot of them put so much money into the thing. Like I don't yeah. think it was just about getting out of the hood. Like they cared. They were some of them own record labels. They okay. Anyway, anyone I've been around like that criminal or whatever, we've all had, we've all that. They care. Yeah. So it's it's seeing. I think it's seeing that passion as much as like seeing art oh, is a way out of the hood. I don't think I ever. Even if I said that on song, I don't think I ever felt like ah, oh, music's my way out of. It was never about that. Like yeah. I never looked at it like ah, oh, music saved my life or nothing. Like, I never looked at it like that. I was just so obsessed. I was you just so do obsessed. Yeah, and I think gets was too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. It, and it was just that thing of when he clocked that he could be an MC, and then he clocked up. Right, he's good. Like, like he's really good. He jumped up a bunch of levels. He started yeah. late, but then just jumped up levels to the point that's like, oh, shh. Like, and that side over there in Newham, the very lyrical dons. Yeah, 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 yeah. From Young, like Kano, Sharky, gets... He come off the back of that already. It was already laid. Them them guys are lyrical. Yeah. It's it's, it's wicked. But like I said, it was about the passion more than anything, I think. I love that. I love that. I'm going to... I'm gonna continue taking you back a bit right now i'm i'm a millwall fan and i wouldn't normally mention that to someone from east london because it's it causes issues but i remember reading an interview in a program once with a defender that we had who i loved called danny Danny shitter and 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 he spoke about growing up with you and 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 coming up with you and you you used to to go around his and play records and stuff like that yeah where was that like how was that in your in your upbringing so Dan, Daniel was mum and my mum are like like that from yeah. when I was a baby. But then, but then, I didn't meet him again till I got to a little bit older and started to get a bit more troublesome. So basically, yeah. he lived. His estate was behind mine. So he's in the state behind mine, which, funnily enough, is the same estate Jonathan Ross grew up on. Randomly. Really? Yeah, nice. that's where he's originally from. Before he moved to Leytonstone, he's from yeah. the better state. So, um, so then with, with Daniel, so I, I I got to that age where I started going over, and I can't remember. I just started going over to them because they were like the other set of black family or people, whatever, but just yeah. in the opposite direction. And the Nigerians, it's the African thing, so we were just tight. They just automatically become your cousins and all that. You're tight. But Daniel's one of them things. He, he he was an inspiring guy because he didn't really get into trouble. He was big. Everyone respected him. He could knock everyone out. Yeah, but he wasn't a, a troublemaker. Lad. Yeah, but he was tough, and no one messed with him. But he he was a goal getter. So Daniel, any film he put his mind to, he did it. So he just became like a ins- big inspiration between him and Wiley at that time when I was in there. They were like people I looked up to. Yeah. So Daniel, he's decided he wanted to DJ. So at his decks, he DJed. So I'd go there and and DJ with him. I just follow him whatever he did. And then okay, then he decided he wanted to fix computers and sell computer parts. So we go Sunday market. You know Sunday market yeah, yeah, before yeah. before they showed that. And then. It would be buying parts because we used to go to church and then, and then like, we'd leave church, 
while it's on and we'll spend three or four hours in the Sunday market be getting bits then he decided he wanted to play softball then he ended up playing softball for for the UK and travelling around the world then late he got into football late through Nick Friday Nick Friday was a scout from Iria who was always like a um, like a youth leader in youth clubs and all that yeah. it was always about but, but, but he got Daniel uh, like, uh, scouting and all that and then Daniel ended up being a professional footballer so he's a dude that I just watched do everything yeah and just do and just it do as do well. It. Not think about it or ask or see if I can, ask if you're allowed. Just go, no, just, I'm, I'm doing he, he this just, now. He, this, he, do, like, he just jumped from finger at his brother. They were just super positive guys. I loved like, that. They just put, and just had my back. Like, yeah. I mean, I just, I, just, I just loved rolling with him. That, that was that. And I was, yeah, I was young then. I was like 15. Yeah. I loved that. So, so you speak of people no, 14, in, 14. inspiring you then. But So how was it when Boy in the Corner proper blew up? Because that, again, there is... There's a responsibility there because you, you, you're, you're bringing the scene forward, like the Mercury Award and stuff like that. That that hadn't been seen in grime before, and the the mainstream kind of attention that was on on your music. So how was that? And obviously, there's also always backlash in any underground scene. As soon as someone starts to get big, people start to to question them and come from. So how was it initially when that just was getting bigger and bigger and bigger? If I'm honest, bro, I don't think I really understood. Yeah. Or, like, I there was no reference. For, like, I didn't know what I was supposed to be thinking or feeling because I just went from, yeah, whatever, underground raves, like, really underground ones, at, like, clubs like Rex or EQ or other little places like that around London, similar to yeah. um, that. And then, then, then it stepped up when you got to, like, Sidewinder. That's when it became, like, nationwide. Like, I would never have met anyone from Liverpool or Manchester or Leeds and all them places if it weren't for that rave. That's what That was the step up. And then it went from there to a few festivals, maybe, and then to Mercury and all that. And and, and then just going to the label, little things like going to the record label or sitting down and doing 11 interviews and having to answer the same questions and all that. That's what my life was at that point. Yeah. So I didn't know what to know or expect. I didn't really know what the Mercury Award was. I remember being in Iron Appa and seeing that Miss Dynamite won it. That was my introduction to right, the Mercury yeah, Awards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't know what the Mercury was. I just know, oh, Miss Dynamite's in the paper. She won this thing. And then yeah. the next year, I won it. And Miss Dynamite gave it to me. But I didn't know... Yeah. Because by them times there, I didn't know much about the music industry other than, okay, I came up around Pay As You Go and More Fire. Yeah. So at, at that point, after Soul Solid and that, were the dudes I get from East or from within my kind of radius or area had been into the mainstream or been into the proper like proper music industry. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, I had no, no reference. I knew what the Brits was because the Brits was on telly as the biggest award. I knew what the Mobile yeah, was because yeah, yeah, that was yeah. the black that was the black Brits. Yeah, that, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, but at the yeah, time, yeah. I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't really know nothing. I used to... I remember... It's quite crazy. Um, my manager took me to Nando's for the first time ever with uh, to meet Richard Dickey's um, Adele's... Right. Manager. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No. He's the, that's the first time I went to Nando's. Like, my first time being, <laughs> oh, to, uh, when there was like a little bidding war and going to meet all these different people who wanted to sign me. Yeah. Uh, all, all those things there. Like, again, I'm not really understanding. But, rah, I've never, I've never had chicken like this before. Like, that's, <laughs> you know I'm saying, that's where I was. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Wow, Nando's, Elephant and Castle. Oh my God, this is crazy. Like that kind of shit. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know enough about anything. As I and then as far as the old, oh, the scene turning on me and all that. I don't think I really understood. 
it's not like today where you could see everything that was being how everyone feels about you on your on your comment section. Yeah, yeah, of course. So you you just hear it through. I don't know. A, a, a MC might say something in a sort or in a sort on the radio set, or so you got little vibes like. But then at some point, I kind of just cut all of that out because it was affecting your music. Because you you start finding that raw. You're just writing aggressive music to, for other MCs when you could just be writing songs. There's that wider thing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, So after all that, I started touring with Justin Timberlake and I learned about, okay, you need other songs with stuff that people can sing along to. Not just, stop that, stop that, get that. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, they're tolerating it and that, but that's what I learned. It's been loads of learning curves. It's been crazy still. I love it because, it's, again, it's true. It's, it shows that you're learning... Again, as we said with Danny Shittle, you're learning by doing. You're going out there and doing it, and you're going, right, I'm playing live now. There's only so much of this kind of song that works, or even Mm. that you might enjoy doing live. You need that that variation, and it's it's a weird one. Again, I talked to Getz about this. I talked to Kano about it. Is Grime came about because someone was trying to do something different. Yeah. And then everyone kind of started to do the same thing. Or or anyone who stepped aside from it would then get hate for it not being grown. It's like, well, no, the point is to evolve evolve music and push it forward, right? Do you know, do you know some of it comes from... See, when the scene starts to get established, yeah? Yeah. It kind of starts to have its own hierarchy. Yeah. So you, you kind of can't get in anyway. So, like, even if I would have wanted to be in Garage, I knew that whether Spoonie and all them people were already looking, I guess, so solid more more close was closer to them and looking at everything that was coming after that it's like nah we're not nah we don't like that don't like yeah. that vibe and we were after that yeah. so even though Wiley was a garage thing he made the transition he was in garage he was in drum place before that but then he saw really truly what I was doing yeah and then that that made him flip his music and he changed his style of doing it because he was making garage and then when we got together like we were we'd like we were in the same crew and all that so it is where it is isn't it yeah. but like I said the hierarchy so Eventually, guys, just end, you end up just making your own thing anyway. We couldn't get into the garage room, so they'd give us our own small room at the rave. But yeah. then our room became the room because we, our radio sets just became bigger and cooler. The music was making just got, became more interesting. It's like, all, all these different crews started popping up in east, and in, in south, north, west. It just, and so it just became its own thing. And then what ended up happening is that became its own hierarchy. So a lot of these kids now that are like doing Afro swing or drill, aside from rap music, which are, which are some of them are obviously doing, some of them were into gram. Some of them yeah. were gram MCs yeah. who couldn't get through the hierarchy. Yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah, I feel... is, is that making sense? Yeah, yeah, completely. That's, that's what ends up happening. I guess a lot of... Like, same with drum and bass. Like guys were in dubstep and all that, maybe couldn't, well, they were obviously into drum and bass, innit? And then they yeah. just end up becoming bigger in, in, and their thing just becomes something else. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, so, so how was it then, as you said, when you're getting influenced by... I mean, touring with people like Justin Timberlake and shit like mm. that is, is crazy. So how is it when that kind of influence comes in? Because that dance with me and... Bonkers and holiday era was when shit got bigger than uh, than ever. And again, obviously, any backlash or whatever as well. But yeah. I want to say now, I still put bonkers up there lyrically and flow wise with with anything like the succinctness right. and, and explosiveness of, of 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 that verse is is classic dizzy rascal cunning. So 
So how was that to, to, to be doing these new or playing with this new sound in front of so many people and seeing it work in, in these huge festivals and, and all of these no, that, places? That shit just went off immediately. So yeah. I knew it was right. It went off. But um, aside from what I told you about, yeah, the natural progression of being in these different environments and understanding like, oh, you need different songs for different dynamics and you need to carry a 70 minute set. Yeah. But when the Justin Timberlake thing, when, when I did that, I, I had two albums. So I put in the corner and Showtime. And yeah. there wasn't a lot of commercial stuff on there. Like the most commercial thing, other than Fix Up the Shots, probably Stand Up Tall, which yeah. was an attempt kind of at a commercial version of Pulse X, which right. is why I got y- Youngster at that beat, which was the Pulse X beat, but he yeah. put a bunch of other stuff on it. And then I tried to make something that wasn't so aggressive yeah, as the hook. Yeah, yeah. But it's still him anyway. So it's, that was his tune. But basically, with the, with the, with dancing me and holiday and all that, as much as that progression, that was just me. I guess it was by my third album. I guess that's when Calvin Harris came out with Acceptable in the eighties. Yeah, that was a case of me just sitting there and just seeing that on the telly, like seeing that video on the TV, Acceptable in the eighties, and just hearing thing like, "Raw, what's that?" Because that was different when it came out. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. like it sounded like some eighties funk stuff. Nothing sounded like that though. Yeah, so I was like, "Raw, who's that?" That's sick. And then he put out a few other bits and then I, I, I think like, rah, it'd be good to get a beat from him. And then eventually I met him. I think it was Radio 1 Big Weekend. I met him on Radio 1 and I said to him, like, introduced myself to him, like, yo, like, whatever year it was, it was the year Rihanna just dropped Umbrella because I yeah. remember she was there and I met her manager. But then I met Calvin Harris and I told him like, yo, I love what you're doing, man. Let's, let's do something. I think he was surprised. But I was like, yeah. And by this time, I was on my third album. So this is when I've got Sirens and all that. That's that's where I was at. Yeah. But I heard him. I was like, and I, could, I guess I could hear the pop pot- potential. Not even necessarily pop. I don't. I don't. I didn't know how to make pop music. Yeah. I didn't know about pop production. Like I, had no, I didn't really. I had no access to it. And we kind of shunned that by not signing to whatever Polydor or whoever else at the time. There was a bit of war. Wanted to automatically straight away make me into what they thought a pop artist would be. That's why I went with XL, because yeah. when I spoke to Richard Russell or whatever, they, or no, it would have been, um, anyway, it'll come to me, whatever. <laughs> but speaking, to, speaking to them, didn't want to change me. Yeah. So, so yes, I wasn't trying to be a pop star anyway, but yeah. I heard that Calvin Harris tune, except when I had 80s, and just the quirkiness, that's it, it was quirky. It lit up. I'm a dude, I love sounds, whether it's like I said, hard, crazy, whatever, or just quirky, even West Coast funk stuff. And I heard that with him. So then what ended up happening is um, I wrote Dance With Me to a Groove Armada beat. Groove Armada right. sent me something. So then I wrote to it and I sent it to my manager and he says, yo, this is good, but this, this is almost a bit too good for this beat. <laughs> like, no disrespect to them because I did some of their, they used to, they had the, the ring uh, festival at Vicky Park. Yeah. I got nothing yeah, respect yeah, yeah. for them, innit? But it just didn't fit. And it's not the first time where I'd put lyrics from something else on song, Fix Up The Sharp. Those lyrics didn't start on that beat. Yeah. Like, I used to do that a lot. So then, um, end up getting a beat from Calvin Harris. He sent it, and I remember recording it, then we brought in K, um, Chrome, who was a friend of Footsie's at the time. Then Nick did some, wrote some bits and that as well, and then it all got produced up or whatever. Calvin produced it, obviously. And then it became that. Yeah. And at the time, people, that's the one, it, people, it kills me. People think, ah, oh, yeah, the record, he, he went mainstream, the record label made him, was like, like, nah. I was actually... Uh, at the end of my deal with XL, I had a free album deal. Yeah. So by the time I got to Maths and English, third album, I was done. We took dance with me to them and they didn't want that because, because they did, they, they, I don't think they were 
interested in me and going in that, that direction. Yeah. I had three gold albums. I'd done as much as that. I'd, like, I'd done everything they wanted me to do at that point. You know what I mean? So I had to make the decision like to like, ah, like and go in fully independent. It was like going back to how I started when we were selling white labels and take, putting them in the boot and taking them to the record shops. I just saw it as a bigger version of that. Yeah. So I, 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 I could like, I was up for it. But and then so we shot that cheap t- cheap video and at the time it was a t- ten grand video like which was cheap for back then. Now yeah. you could get a decent video for ten grand. Back then we shot in the Notting Hill Art Center, just invited a bunch of whoever or some of the girls or whatever different girls that I was seeing at the time, whatever like just just bunch of random shit going on in the video, in it. But then it just worked. It was number one for a month, yeah. a month, and then madness. You know what I'm saying? And then, then, then that was the beginning of that, I guess, the process of that album. And so we had to get another one from Calvin, obviously, like naturally, yeah. innit? So then that was Holiday. It, it, yeah. it, it came out after Bonkers. Bonkers was the second one, but Holiday came out third. And then even with that, that was like, that was a bit of ahead of his time because on, I remember Calvin, we, I was having this conversation. I, I wrote it, put it on that beat and I loved it. But then he said he, he wants to do this bit at the end where it speeds up and goes into like some big house thing. And I was like, nah, I don't know, you know, like, I weren't with it. Yeah. But he had to, come, like, he was adamant about it. So, like, I kind of let him do it. And in the end, that sound, that dun, 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 just became the sound for, like, the next few years if, to the point where Chris Brown was doing it. You know what I'm talking about, innit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rihanna was doing Everyone was doing it as that, that big turnaround right. at the end as well. Yeah. And then, well, Calvin and Harris ended up doing that Rihanna tune. Yeah, innit? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I basically got, uh, got onto Calvin Harris early. So, it's yeah. not that I was trying to become this massive pop star. And it's not like I'm doing anything that label were trying to make me do because I didn't have the support of the label. Most record labels, that's what they'd love that for our eyes. But <laughs> yeah. that's not what they were trying to do, innit? Yeah. So I actually went against the grain, even though it looks like I was fully pandering and catering to the mainstream and all that. First up, the mainstream didn't sound like that. Yeah. I know it's hard to think of that now. Well, that's it, because like... after it, it did. Like, right. I've, I've known like Example for years. And when I had him on, at that point, like when Example blew up in his kind of pop version with, with Calvin Harris yeah w- with Calvin Harris yeah. it's because that's yeah. what a label were looking for that sound they were like we right. want it to be this and they were looking See? for an MC or, or front person to do that but it's fascinating to hear that obviously you'd done th- three albums with XL and they completely aren't a label who are going to be tr- trying to push you in any pop direction I right. don't to hear that it's like no here's just the music I made and then, then we found the majors, and it found its major market rather than the other way around. And, and it found the majors. It, no, it had major success, but I was independent. Yeah, that whole album, platinum, bonkers thing, like all that was in. The, I wasn't signed to anybody. That's, That's the crazy thing think. about it. I didn't it. even realize that at all. In my mind, that must have been major yeah, label because it was that big and it worked so well that it just seems big and shiny and thingy but no it wasn't all the artists are talking about their independent guys now that's really what it was like it's mad like, it's mad when you look back on it all as well because xl as well at that point xl weren't what they are now they hadn't had adele become the biggest artist in the world the, they were the crazy an independent thing is, label no they, they were massive independent label yeah like, they were the, the biggest, biggest in England. yeah 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 but i remember i remember watching adele's i remember the xl doing the showcase and the showcase was, um, was, was it in the cinema? Yeah, it was like, in the cinema. Yeah, and they, they premiered the um, Sirens video. Yeah. And everyone was like, right, everyone was wild and all that. And then this girl got up on stage with her guitar and played on a song. I was like, rah, like, rah, she's like, she, yeah. like, she's the truth. And it was Adele. <laughs> yeah. I and gig- then, and it, yeah, it went from there, innit? I gigged with Adele a load in them days. And I remember when she got on 
Jules Holland and the traditional thing is everyone adds this big production or this and it was XL who were like no we need to just put her up there like, as they would have done at that showcase so like yeah. we need to just put her on stage with a guitar because yeah. that's more impactful than strings and keys and all these other things because yeah as, as, she's, as she's the, the impact truth. it said then it makes you go oh shit what yeah. the fuck was that yeah. so, so, so what are the kind of Kind of two questions here. Like, what are the influences n- now on the new record? Because as I said, it's yeah. dope to hear that it is always just what's jumping out to you. And how have you felt about this, the booming grime? Because the first time it did kind of hit a wall. Like, you and a few oh. others kind of moved on and grime kind of got st- st- stuck a little bit. And then it's kind of come back bigger than ever at the moment, it seems. Like, how's that been t- to watch as one of the originators to, to, to watch as one of the originators is half acceptance that it's gone in the next direction and you can kind of try and jump in if you want but the kind of at the same time you're here yeah in a way so then what, what have you got to add to it are you going to fully commit to what's going on there unless, even though you're not necessarily into all of it or, or they're not necessarily all into you yeah like they, or, or they're into one side of you yeah, that's key, well. right? Yeah, yeah. So it's just like, there, there's that. And then the other side of it uh, is kind of like, well, another part is that, um, see that he's saying it looked like, it seemed like it hit a wall. It's just knowing that, it's not that it hit a wall, it hit a wall as far as like being a chart music. Yeah. Because it's a sound system culture. Yeah. So a lot of those guys, like Getz and all them were in the beginning, guys that were just, they would go on radio and just spray. Because... That was the release. It was like a hobby. It's like it's like going to play football or something, but we just go on radio, have our bars ready, and just want to just be the best MC. There's as much that element to it too. Yeah. And everybody wasn't built to make so. And I'm sure it's the same with all jazz. All, when jazz was started, there'd have been guys that could just do play better than everyone, but they couldn't necessarily put it to a song. Yeah. And have hit after hit after hit after hit. So there's so then eventually, not that it fades into the background. It just becomes more, not more niche, or it's just that culture. If you want a bit of that, you just go and get a bit of that. It happens with drum and bass. It happens with garage. Like every now and then, you you just have a, because of the record labels. Like you say, when they see something working, they'll run to it and sign a bunch of stuff. Thingy. Yeah. So yeah. when one jungle hit comes out and it has a massive success thing, then it seems like there's jungle coming everywhere. And then it happens with garage. Oh, there's someone's just had a garage hit out of nowhere. Quickly, just go and sign it and a bunch of. So that that's why it always seems like. Stuff, like stuff big yeah. and then things like it, it dies out because yeah, everyone, yeah, yeah. everyone's not a hit maker we, and we, going back to the credit of pop's like a dirty word but to actually make a pop tune is not that easy nah it's actually it's easier to make nah bruv it's easier to make say like one of my songs stop that or or whatever it's actually easier to make a, just a hard banging grime tune where I'm just beating banging my chest yeah than it is to make a tune that fucking that'll make hundred thousand people at Glastonbury all jump round together. They don't know each other and just like euphoric. Like yeah. that's, that's that's hard. Well, I mean, uh, speaking of jumping around t- together and and euphoric, we've m- mentioned Jungle a few times. I want to quickly yeah. talk about. It's one of my favourite clips of all time. Is when everyone was in with uh, was it with Charlie Sloth and General Levy. No, it, was, um, no, it wasn't with Sloth, was it? Mr. Jam, Mr. Jam. Mr. Jam, of course. Um, mm. 
and General Levy came in and did incredible. And that yeah. was that was like how was that? Because it felt like that was everyone re- returning to being young kids in the booth all together, all having that energy and excitement. Because yeah, man, you that know, was a track, right? It's mad because I didn't go there for that. Yeah, I went there because um, I had a track with Fecky. It was Fecky's song. Fecky and Splurge were sampled my song "Sitting Here" and made a new thing with it. So I was going with Fecky to the radio to promote that with him. Yeah, we were just going to do an interview. But we was waiting outside, and then man were doing a set, and it's like, well, it's JME. I see JME and um, Bizzle. Yeah, and a lot of people don't realize the link between me and Morefire Crew. I'm on. I'm actually on their first album. Yeah, that is my yeah, first. Yeah, yeah. The first album I appeared on was the Morefire Crew album. Like with my own, the, the song I produced the song is called um, "Still the Same." I made the beat, everything. Yeah. So it's like me and Lethal go so way back. It's like, well, how are we standing out here? They're in there. Like we might as well just like go in there and just vibe with them. So we just walked in, and the Bizzle was just so happy to see me because I hadn't seen him for years. Like I said, we see each other every now and then in passing at festivals. But you know, it's sometimes you're yeah, yeah. sometimes you don't in it. So it was just a vibe. And it's general. I never met General Levy, but I know what fucking incredible meant to me. Hundred like, percent. That's. I've still got that there. That's my got my little record collection back there. Yeah. Like, I've still got that. Like, that was a tune that was automatic, that it got played on every jungle set I did when I was 14 or whatever. Yeah. So to have him there doing it, just have him in... No! No, it didn't. No, it didn't happen like that. He was waiting as well. Oh, really? So me and Fekir and all that winning, then we just started bubbling with Skepta and all them that we started just doing the set like we would. And then General Levy came in on that. Because that was it. It seemed... That's what was beautiful about it, was it seemed like that. It seemed like none of this was planned. Everyone nah. was just passing by. And again, right. that's what's that's where the energy and the buzz comes from. And again, it's similar, because as you were, were saying, like people don't know that you and Wiley and numerous others were all using like the same studio at that time back in the day mm. and all this kind of yeah. thing. So it's a similar thing there of you don't get it as much when you've had that success. Like you don't have those things where you just you're walking past the studio and you jump in. It has to be all planned and scheduled. So it felt like right. a real energizing thing to see people just go, oh, "Fuck it, look, I know those guys. Let's go and let's go and jump in on that." Yeah, no, definitely. And some of that, some of this album was made like that, where I was just hitting guys up, like you know what, rah, wow, let me hit up Chip. Like, yeah, comes to the studio. Like ah, oh, listen to listens to a bunch of shit. Right, he likes this. He picked that. He jumped on it. Uh, get some Kano got them both on the tune but that came through Chubby Dread hitting me up who who made where for Morefire Crew yeah yeah so yeah known him so back then Man, and he's yeah. on, he made a tune on my album called Round We Go but then Man, I didn't see him he's, for years he, he, he's responsible f- for some damaging clubs man because when he, Oi came out that was that was shit would get rowdy in those he is responsible for 140 BPM really he'd it wasn't 140 BPM. Right. He did that. Amazing. Because nothing on Boy in the Corner is 140 BPM that yeah. I know of. Yeah. He bought that tempo. So that, that's what he's responsible for. So, it's amazing. Um, yeah. So he, he that. And he, at the time, well, because he was in there. So he told me, oh, it was like Garage. He That was him making Garage, but because of whatever, he, he just did, it ended up becoming his own style. Yeah. But that, that it, was, it was the cater to like Garage. Like. Yeah. So, um, I see him like within in in the last what 15 16 years or something I might have seen him twice so when wow. Fabric opened a new club Matter they opened Matter yeah. I see him in Matter when Matter was pop, popping like maybe it was like 10 years ago now you know yeah. something in it and then I didn't see him again for ages cuz he moved out of town and then um he just hit me up randomly like in 2017 
I was like, right, what's going on? So we linked up, went to the studio, he played me a bunch of things. I was like, yo, we need to get some. And uh, I think I see Gets in traffic on Old Street. <laughs> yeah. But there was, we drove with Justin Knowledge, because we hadn't seen each other for so long. Why go on? Why go on? Like, why go on? And then I ended up inviting to the studio, played it for him, and then he set it off. Yeah. So then, then okay, I need to put my verse down. And then and on a separate occasion, like thinking like, who could do this? Who could top this off? Like Kano, has to be Kano. Me, me and me and uh, Chubby Wolves. It was like yeah, Kano has to be Kano. Yeah. We someone uh, uh, again. We all know each other from young, yeah. but never done a song. So then brought Kano to the studio. Separate occasion. He come. He heard what he had to do. I had to go and do a corporate event somewhere. So I went away, did that, came back, and then he put down some disgustingness and just completed the thing. Yeah. But then that was that was a, a fun way of doing things, like not so all like just vibes. A lot of the album w- w- was made like that. A lot of the album, and, and that is a wicked way to w- work. You know, sometimes just walking in on people's session and shit like that. That's, like yeah. a, that's how the Skepta song happened. I got it's not on the album; it came out before. Yeah. But we was just in the same building. Oh really? And one day I just walked in his door. I heard he was there. I walked in. He saw me. Just gave me a hug. We were just cool, and then we just started chatting. Because sometimes you just don't see people for ages. You don't know what the vibes are. Then you get chatting and that, then show you something, and then you just end up with a song. That's like it's, yeah. when it's like that, it's cool. You know what I mean? But where we've all got to levels where we've been in the music industry, like things change a bit. That, that makes sense. Like, yeah, completely. Like said, and it's again, some, it's it's mad to think that when Gets and Kano were doing their like nasty crew thing and all that in in the day, yeah. you'd think there's got to be a track that they were on on with you. That's that's got to wow. have happened. So it's mad that at this point it's like. And again, I not took, even particularly Kano, a bad thing. I took Kano to record his first song. Oh, really? Yeah, I took him to, to Boys, Boys and Girls. I took him to the studio and then he made it. I think it was Danny C or Danny C. Danny C or, big up Danny C or did they one person now? One of the Dannys. One of the Dannys. I took him there and that's what they went and made that. So I'm sure that's the studio I took him to. So we've got history and, and yeah. we used to be on sets. We, we've been on sets, but not Nasty Crew. Yeah. We was on Flavor FM but we was all on the same station. But it sits with me and Kano. I don't know if they're on tape, but like, he, like he was always like a feared MC. Yeah. Like if he gets on the mic, like it, it, that's it. It was. That's what I'm talking about. The, the passion behind it. it was not about money back then. Money came into it eventually. Like we're all yeah. paid now. Everyone's all right. But at that point, there it was a sport. Yeah. It was just sport. Like it mattered who was the best MC. You, it wasn't see, even all just vibes. Oh, Kano always popped out in in that way because of how laid back it all seemed. Like, Getz, again, you can't not look at him. He's got that energy. He's going for it. And Kano had come in kind of calm and then build and and build. And it was, yeah, it stands out, right? It's scary. But but what's crazy here is that you're right. You're right. Because, but that's that's who Getz was outside. Yeah. That's the Getz I remember, like, as as, as a youth. Yeah. Like, yeah. That set of youths there... When they come, something something's gonna happen. Like, someone's yeah. gonna get robbed. Some, something's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But uh, Kano and that, he was a suave. He's, he's always a suave youth. It just he, when he gets somebody, he's, he's suave. He already knows he's better than most of the people there, and he, like it, it, it is what it is. But with this tune, he went mad. Really, this tune with me forget there. He went mad. He went mad. Because that's the most exciting thing with Kano on his his last r- r- record on. Um, on SYM he kind of again he starts all chilled and when he blows up 
man, yeah. your hair stand on end. So yeah, this sounds yeah. this sounds exciting. Was that a conscious thing then that you wanted to do a record that made you feel like those days? That was just getting people in and not being this kind of planned or any kind of marketing t- type thing. Just going, who who's good on this? I think Let's it's get like, people in the room. Yeah, a bit of that, but I think it's because I started producing again. Yeah. I started producing with the last EP, but then I, I made a conscious effort, like, nah, right now, like, I'm making um, beats. Yeah. So it's more about I wanted to have people on my beats, and the, the first actual tune that we decided, like, okay, this is the beginning of an album or a project, was uh, the one with P Money on it. Right. Which is actually the intro song. Yeah. So I brought him to the studio. He's the first, he's the first person I brought in, actually. Yeah to hear everything and all that all the beats and he jumped on that and did that so that's what got my excitement because like like we talk about a lot of those radio sets I'd have MCs MCing over my beats the instrumentals Go Ho all, all these instrumentals that people know and something to, I don't think they they know I made them they know the obvious Wiley ones the um or Danny Weeds they know those tunes there but there's yeah. a couple there that I did and I don't think they associated me with actually being on the buttons so it was it was conscious effort this time. It was nice to hear MCs over my sh- stuff again. I, I did. I wanted to. I wanted to be on my beats, but I wanted to hear other MCs from here on them. Yeah. So that 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 was like that was like a big motivation for this album. I knew I wasn't going to be trying to make like no big kind of pop crossover album. I was trying to. I was trying to maybe state my claim as a grand producer again, or the original grand producer. Again, you know what I mean that that side of it, uh, but then it, it then it grew into other stuff as other other producers started coming involved as well. Then you ended up getting them other more kind of mainstreamy, but hard tunes as well. I got a couple of tunes with Splurge Boys. They bring their own flavor to it. They're really good producers. They they come they come with some stuff and ended up doing a tune with Decline, who's an old garage producer. He made I don't smoke the reefer. Yeah, who I met years ago on the plane to Switzerland. At least five years ago. Yeah. But then just didn't end up doing nothing until like last year. Yeah. And then en- did a bunch of stuff that end up, ended up with this song that we've got on here now, which is another, a banger that I've, again, it's more vibesy, more happy. It's not just a straight MC tune where we're just trying to, like, who can, who can be at the best bars or who's the best rapper. It's more like, yeah, you could dance to it and you can sing along to it. Like, so there's, yeah. there's those moments too. But it wasn't planned. We just got to that part. Yeah. I love that, and it's good to hear again that that excitement of of getting people on on your beats, on your production, mm. on your thing. Now, I've I've got a story. I wasn't sh- sure if I'd go into or not because I'm sure you won't remember it. But um, I talked about the track to gets actually because on my first record I had this track that I played. Oh, sorry, Rob. Nick Nick Huggett. Just so I don't want Nick Huggett to think that I forgot about it. Nick yeah. Huggett. That was yeah. the other the dude at XL was with, with Toby. But go yeah, ahead, was sorry, in sorry, sorry. Nick Hawks? Because Nick Hawks was was at XL, right? He might have been. But I know that the, the, when Nick it came Huggett. to negotiations, it was Nick Huggett and Toby. I love it. But um, So I had this, this track on my first record that I was talking to Getz about because I played it at a show he was at when I was opening for Bizzle. Mm. And it was a it was a nerve wracking one because everyone saw it as our anti grime song and it weren't okay. Right, it was right. it was over the Billy Squires beat, so it was it was a cover of Fix Up Look Sharp essentially that's that said in the details like respect to Dizzy, but again, w- people need to keep keep pushing the scene and keep p- 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 progressing. And I remember that uh, we'd done a festival a while back, and Se- Semtex had played that on his radio show. 
Mm. And I know he'd kind of he'd come over to you and mentioned it, and you came up to me at, at, at baggage at the airport, and I'm sitting there thinking, right, he's either going to be pissed off or or, or or what's going to go on? And you just came up and said that you'd heard this, or, or Semtex had played you this uh, this hit because we did it as hip hop is art rather than fix yeah. up look sharp. And you said yes, it's good, I like it, I like it. And I remember that moment of going, is he going to be furious? Is he going to be happy? But again, it is. Not hearing you now speak of that excitement of people being on beats that you've made or you've produced or you've been involved yeah. in, that's part of the scene, right? That's part of the... That should be part of the excitement of it because in those early days of grime, people... There was that period where people would all jump on a Nas beat or a Jay-Z beat and you'd be competing to see who could do it better. So to get them on your beats is... That's a good thing. Yeah. Do you know, do you know what it was? I guess other than the um, shysty... Shiesty did a version of "I Love You." Yeah, I think that was the, that that was the first time someone done not a cover version or, or their it was, own it version. It was a rewrite. It was a, yeah, it was a rewrite. Again, it's, it's and, funny. And, but, 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 what, but what I've done was a rewrite as well. Yeah, so really, uh, technically in it. Because so. that was it. Because that was the funny thing earlier when you were mentioning Billy Squires. Because on that record, we had a Radiohead sample that we got cleared, and everyone yeah. was like, "Oh, did Dizzy clear the the sample?" We're like, "Nah, we got it cleared." It's Billy Squires. Like we, we didn't have to. Yeah. <laughs> it no, was a sample and, and, anyway. <laughs> and Run DMC did it before me. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, so I know, I know what you're saying. I'll wrap things up as I've had over an hour of your time, and I appreciate it. Um, See. how do you feel about a social media kind of t- to end this? Because it's a weird one, as you as you said, when you were coming up, it didn't even exist. Whereas mm. now it does, and it's been part of of the grime a resurgence it's been part of the negative size all the, the stuff that's been going on with Wiley recently and again you don't have to comment on it but I know he was your mentor and then there was falling out and all this kind of thing I know but you know what even with that though people when they talk about him being my mentor and that they, they just assume that because he was older than me and if they and, and if they seen if they've been if I've been introduced to them through him they're going to look at it like that as yeah. well but musically we were equal 100% yeah, like, yeah. and he got as much from me as was like really any, any tune you hear me and Wiley on any song I made the beat yeah there might be one where I didn't yeah 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 and he mad. definitely took a, enough influence off of me or he's moving over style change. from Garage in, into yeah, the his whole style grinding, change. yeah yeah definitely but um as far as far as anything else about what he said and what he, or, and all that I don't know man it's, it, I've been on how many times have I been on the receiving end of it yeah, so yeah, 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 you know what yeah. I mean, like yeah, I don't know, I don't know. But, uh, it's been interesting. People, like, I've been seeing people wanting me to say, speak up for him or speak up against him. Yeah, it's like, what, well, like, what, what do you, what do you want from me? It's the belief. It's the, <laughs> it's, it's the confused b- b- belief that it's anyone's duty. You know, you're all everyone's but, a grown but man. It, but it, but you know what's crazy though? I'll give you this. It's that same paradox of like. When uh, when people talk about Black Lives Matter and, and some of the narrative is that ah oh, silence is compliance yeah so so it's get, hearing it from that perspective being yeah, yeah, being yeah. on the other side of it is like okay right you expect me to say something because and in the same way that some people expect you to say something yeah that makes sense right but try but at the same time trying to be Switzerland. Yeah, you know what I mean. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. Like, just yeah. trying to trying to be neutral, but then, but do you pick a side? Can I just yeah. say, ah, oh, leave me alone? I don't know. <laughs> I'm alright right now. But yeah. 
But, but even f- that's it, if that's a problem. It's fucked. The fact is, on all these things, there is two sides to it. Like on, speaking on my opinion, the, the, the shit that he said was fucked up and 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 unacceptable. But then equally, there's been people who have been saying unacceptable, fucked up shit on Twitter that haven't been kicked off as quickly as Wiley was. So that's a negative thing. That it's there's to be blunt, white people who have said just as hateful shit for years and years on Twitter. Whereas the first time a renowned black artist says something, which again I think is complete bullshit and unacceptable, gone in two days. So yeah, it's a uh, there's sides like, to the first, all like, the first time he says stuff about Jews. So far. yeah, like I'm saying, it's like he's spoken. He's even this conversation, conversation, yeah, even this conversation, it's like, well, if you get into it, you're going to offend some people. Yeah, yeah. L- let's move on. Like, let's leave it and move it, on. Let's, let's leave mean? it and move yeah, on. Like, so, yeah. so, so what's ahead then? Because it's weird. You're releasing new music that sounds fucking crazy exciting, but we're in this weird place. Like, you were going to be doing one of the, the driving gigs and it got cancelled because mm. of COVID and all that. So what do you kind of see as the plan being on the release of this record and getting to have some energy oh. around it? Yeah, it just feels normal still. It just feels yeah. normal. So, okay, I've got no shows this year. That's all. But like, that's calm. Like, just, the album's just gonna come out. That's it. I just wanted people to hear it and enjoy it the same way. When yeah. when 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 the shows op- all open up and all that, and I can get to bring the music to life because that's what it's for. Yeah. Like, just to bring the music to life and do your best to make make it of the visual thing for people and proper experience and sharing it with you know you know I see it as now it's a celebration. Any yeah. show you do, yeah, it's a celebration. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you people have come to like you. You felt my shit that much that you've come to watch me. It's time to celebrate. Like, that's what we're doing right now. Like, and I it's, guess that's why I made more celebration music. Yeah, yeah. Come on, and it's it's, yeah. it's kind of good to give them time to get to know the music as well before seeing it live, yeah. right? Because when you tour new music, the fact is, it's the old tracks that people are going to know the best. So it's there's all this music that you're hype about and you're excited to get out there, and then you know. You know what though? I'll tell this one time. Other than the early raves when I when I played some of that like um some of the more instrumental stuff, like the holes and the goals when people just went mad. But it's a different settings, like yeah. and sometimes depending what MC was on top of it as well. But there's there's certain songs that when I played them live the first time was crazy. Bonkers. When I played Bonkers live the first time, I couldn't believe the response. Yeah. I played I think it was, it was one of my shows in Liverpool. I was on tour. I played it there, yeah. It was mad. Yeah. And I, I think that, I mean, that might be the only time where I played the song for the Brand first new. time. Yeah. And, and, and it had that response. I was like, I can't believe this. And that's, that song is probably the easiest song I've ever written in my life. Like, yeah. And it wasn't even going to be on my album. I didn't even take it that serious. I was that's in mad, Denver. Right? Yeah, I was in Denver. So I heard that had to have been about 2008. I was doing an American tour. I was doing, it was out in America, innit? Yeah, sure, yeah. I had a show in Denver that we didn't end up doing which randomly and, and then I remember walking back to the hotel and we got sent it and it said this, this, this tune from, and I remember listening to it and not liking it that much but because now I'd travelled I'd been to Ibiza I'd been to all this place and understood about dance music more yeah that's one reference I didn't have I didn't like house as a kid I did. I, I like jungle. I liked heavy metal. I liked rap. I did not like house. I like garage, but house. I know. I didn't. Wasn't. Didn't care. I just knew about the cheat. The stuff that was on top of the pops, encore and foire, or, 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 <laughs> or sa- sash on all that stuff. That that's what I thought saw bonkers as. But now with with this head on, I understood that. Okay, right. I just need to put a hook on it. That does not 
too much. It already had the bonkers on it. So I just wrote enough. Like, didn't write too much. I knew not to be too lyrical because that's yeah. one of the mistakes I made with some of the stuff afterwards is that I tried to make kind of harsey pop stuff with too much lyrics where, I mean, where when, I, when I started learning about it is that music was kind of, it was all about the space and having a yeah. few things that people hung on to. So I got a bit carried away when it came to the album Fifth. But because I see the people at the top of that tree really was Pitbull and Flowrider. They were winning with the... But even now, nah, that's faded. It's done. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? It's done. But... And then Bonkers is actually about what I've come to know now is like having anxiety attacks. So sometimes, yeah, I used to... Like, I might fall... I used to fall asleep in the day because there's times I didn't have nothing to do in it. You know it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the one when you're a musician, the artist and that, that's why it's a problem because the, you can... You're not doing normal hours like everyone else is. Yeah. The drug dealer becomes your mate, whatever. You're just around in the day, innit? But yeah. these days, days, well, like, I used to notice if I li- I'd lie down, I'll sleep on my back, yeah? And you see, you get that thing where where you, you can't move, like, yeah. and I, now I think, I was, oh, I, was, I think I was having anxiety attacks because yeah. the fame, the, I wasn't as famous as I was after when, so after Bonkers and Dancing Me, you know, after like 2010, but I was popular. And every now and then, sometimes, like, if I'd had a, had a kit, I'd wake up. And everything would hit me. Yeah, man. Like, raw. Like, it's not going away. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. shit, this is a real thing. This is mad. Like, fucking hell. So that's what that thing is. I wake up every day as a daydream. Everything in my life ain't what it seems. I wake up just to go back to sleep. I act real shallow, but I'm in too deep. That's what that is actually about. Yeah. Like, those, those fucking, I think they were anxiety attacks. I don't know, but it yeah. went, like, that's what expensive. That's how I wrote that, but I did that, but it was a, but I ended up writing it later on in Denver in Denver just listening to the thing in the headphones and not even writing it down I just knew it had to be catchy enough it was catchy enough to remember so I came on recording it and sat on it for ages went to my manager and said oh you, like, you might want that for your album I said yeah he said yeah <laughs> and then he said we played it on tour and it's, I think it's the, about the biggest song I've ever done I think yeah. like, I think it might be yeah that's mad isn't it that, that it, it, it was it, it might not have happened it was on the, on the side it wasn't even a thing but it's you Man. don't know what's going to Click, I guess. That's that's the exciting you know, thing about so, it. Yeah, you know, I said recently, I've, you don't choose your hits. No, hundred percent, you don't. And 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 as you said before, as well, if you start to listen to too many outside influences, that's where it goes wrong because you start either trying to write a hit or trying to write a song for the streets or, or a, a song for whatever else, and it's not real. Rather than just going right, what do I want to write today? What do I, and that's that's the problem with social media so get yeah. back to that point yeah so, so get back to that point like sometimes you really don't need to see what people think you know like if, agree if, more. if you know what I mean because it just gets in the way sometimes sometimes these people just need to shut the fuck up because yeah. you think you know what you're talking about but you're not what, what is if, what is even your plan what are you actually saying this to me for are you trying to like make me stop doing what I'm doing or just want me to know that you're better at it or you're a sort of frustrated guy who wish, wishes you could do it I don't know but a lot of the stuff that people say to you now is like it, do, it doesn't help innit yeah completely completely and again you've got to look back and think when you were making again for example Boy in the Corner it wasn't because mm. people were constantly telling you what you should be doing no, nah, you know I mean, because that, that didn't sound like anything at the exactly. Time. Which is what social media is now. It's all saying, "Here's what you should be doing. Here's what you should be doing." It's yeah. like, well, these things wouldn't have happened if I'd listened to that back then. So it's yeah. I remember being in the studio with a, with one of the younger artists a little while ago, and like I said we were all working in the same complex, and they were in the room, and I just went like I chat to everyone. I was going, yeah. oh, "What are you doing? Are you cool?" Like, and it, and 
he put something out and it wasn't like, ah, oh, I said, nah, I thought like, it's, it's hard after do. He was basically, this, the comments were bugging him and he was thinking, nah, I need to come harder because they were saying about that, uh, that I wasn't as hard on this tune there, so I need to come in harder on another one. And then he was explaining that, ah, uh, if someone says something like that and it gets more bare likes, it the algorithm sends it to the top comment yeah. or some shit. And I didn't even understand, I didn't even think of that. Like, don't get me wrong, we've all been affected by comments sometimes. Like, yeah. like well, I think because we're older, we kind of just move on a bit. But for them, that's how the world is and has been. Yeah. Like, comment section, they make, they started off in the comment section. I've never been in the comment section in my life. Like, no. some of them were, were, were commenting on videos they liked when they were growing up. Because, think, YouTube, at least what? Two or three of my albums came out before YouTube. Period. It's mad, isn't it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. So I didn't have all that. Like, you, I couldn't tell an artist what I thought about him. Yeah. This is shit. It, it was better when you did it before. Like, yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> no, what? Like, you had to send letters, fan mail, shit like yeah. that. Like, and they might T- not get it, but nah. Text into Channel U or whatever else. To come try on, and get come on. Across. The, the, the box. Yeah, like, the and, box, and, the little bit at the bottom as well. Just yeah. like it is. And yeah. even then, it was still to get a song you wanted played. You couldn't yeah. just say, ah, your shit. This is it's shit. not going to get aired. <laughs> now, live callings, radio. Yeah. When you start live callings, that could be tricky. So I might call up, like, pussy up, like, suck it up. Like, sometimes there, there were situations off the back of that. Like, yeah. guys would just be trying to torment people. But you just, dude, shut up. Like, buck, like that's that, what that was, in it? But the comment section is there and you're... And then some people, you can even try and clean up your comment section. But, ah, you've, you've been hit. The, yeah. the comments got you. Ah, you get, it gets like, through. Yeah, it's man. mad. It's no matter fucked. how thick-skinned you are, and you can't predict it, there'll be times I'll look at comments, and be like, "Ah, it's all bullshit," and then there'll be right. one that just later one. that day, you're like, "Yeah," the and you want to tell them about, about themselves, <laughs> but then, but then you played into it, and then how far do you want to go? Like, how do you want to do it? And then, then, then you, then someone else argues with you, and then what? No, fuck you, fuck you, and then, and then you know what you end up with? You end up fucking, you know, you know what I'm alluding to. You end up being, you end up being the troublemaker because yeah. you had a problem. Someone commented it, then you decided to comment to everyone. Now you've got a whole lot of finger in your timeline, looking like you're like you're very very ignorant. Yeah, yeah, I feel that's yeah. and that's what it looks like. And you, then you're on the news. Yeah, looking mad. Hundred percent. We'll we'll leave it there. Um, yeah, I appreciate the time, man. This has been an absolute pleasure. I'm glad we can make this happen. Yes, sir. Anytime, man. I'm excited for new music. I can't wait. I said that the idea of you get San Kano on a track together. Mm. I can't yeah, we've got wait. Kano, got uh, Ocean. Am I even supposed to be saying this yet? When's this out? Fuck it. When's It'll this be in a couple of so, yeah. Ocean yeah. Wisdom has been the one that's just blown me away in recent years. Of just mad. The tune we've got crazy. No, we've got a few, but this one mental. intricacy of that boy's flows and his lyricism crazy. is just. Second to none. Layers, uh, mate. That's why I like to be like, do tunes with him. It works. Yeah. We work well together. Uh, Alakai Harley. I've got a tune with Smoke Boys. I've got a tune... Um, some of the production is by... I've got Steel Bangles on there. Uh, MK The Plug. On like, some of that drill shit. There's a Love there's it. a bunch of stuff on there, man. Frisco, DWE's on the album. Like, yes. it's like yeah, come on, it's, it's there, man. It's there. I love it. Solid. Well, thank you very much and enjoy the rest of your day. You too, brother. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces.
There we go. How was that? I loved having that conversation. You know, I said at the start, I've not seen many interviews with Dizzy this open and honest. And specifically, I kind of mean, like, I've never heard him talk about producing. I've never, like, as as you saw, a few of the things that came up about Getz and about stuff from his youth, he hadn't really thought about in years and certainly not spoken about and obviously we got onto some other subjects towards the end there that people have been asking about for a minute too so um yeah i was really appreciative of of dizzy putting aside his time for me if you enjoyed this and this is your first time as i mentioned in the start check the back catalog i've had loads of good people if you're more into the the us side of thing we've had killer mike and lp from run the jewels we've had just loads of really good people from both sides of the Atlantic that might tickle your taste buds. <laughs> and as I said, I, I'm not, I, I don't normally tell you who's coming up, so I won't tell you next week's guest, but the week after it's gets, and that's another really good, really good conversation. So plenty more good shit to come. Until then, have fun. Keep sp- sp- spreading the word. Do the old like, subscribe, rate and review. Give like a five-star review, all that business. I haven't asked for that in probably a year right to subscribe and rate and review i ain't mentioned that in a long time but yeah if you want to do all of that that'll be lovely um i'll be back next week with more distraction pieces ta-ta